Peggy Sue has a sex forest question. Peggy Sue. I mean, I think I just, uh, to me, I I have read like the like make it a sex forest as like more of a satire on how ridiculous like using it as a golf course is. Like maybe that's just like me reading too much into it. But like a sex forest is sort of as ridiculous as keeping an 18 hole golf course that floods so significantly that FEMA has to come in and provide aid, right? Like when we think about FEMA, like my perception of FEMA is like hurricanes and like serious natural uh, disasters. But no, FEMA also includes like providing MPRB financial support when a golf course floods. Well, Peggy Sue, you know how we know the sex forest plan is real? How? They have yard signs. Yes, but I... And they have a diagram. No, no fake, no fake plan has ever had yard signs. We're rolling. We're rolling. This is a real, real, real thing. Real, 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 real thing. None of you have the balls to stop. Stop this. We're in the wedge neighborhood right now, 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 This is the Wedge Live Podcast. I'm your host, John Edwards. And today I'm joined by Chris Meyer, former Parks Commissioner, and Peggy Sue Amihi. Peggy Sue, can I say what your job is? Are we keeping that a secret? I know you've suffered professional repercussions possibly from your association with this podcast so yeah i already have i've already lost so much if people if people google me they'll figure it out but i don't think we need to give it to them yeah let's not give it to them although i will i'll give a shout out to to my my good pal emily who i saw in a zoom meeting the other day and she messaged me and said i don't know you but um i know you from the wedge live and then we had lunch and it was great you're you're making friends but you you work in uh broadly speaking I work in cities. Cities. Uh, you have some experience with parks, for example? Yeah, I have a, I have a master's in urban and regional planning. I've, okay. I've planned some parks. So you're, you're very, very, very qualified, which is why we've brought both of you in to talk about an issue that's, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's a big issue. The Hiawatha Golf Course, uh, and it flared up recently because there's a plan to drain the lake to save the golf course. I'm just going to leave that there. We're not going to jump into that uh, immediately. First, I want to get both of you to, to react to a story that's impacting my local area, namely the Tesla that crashed into the balloon shop on Hennepin at 25th Street. Do, do either of you have a reaction to that? I mean, it's happened several times now, right, where a vehicle has crashed on that road. Uh, at that intersection, particularly 25th, yeah. uh, the cleaners on the, the Southwest side was, had their corner entrance demolished a couple of years ago. The, this year, the electrical, uh, the traffic signal box on the Northwest corner was taken out by a car. And just this week we had a Tesla crash into the balloon shop. I just yep. have a, I have a logistical question, you know, like. If there was more parking in front of the balloon shop, would that have prevented the Tesla from running into it? Well, there is parking there. 
It's a it's a part time oh. bus lane. Oh, huh. Yep. Okay. There's cool, parking. Cool. I just wanted to. The sarcasm. But. Yeah, I caught it. I caught it. <laughs> sure. I mean, clearly you need something that'll slow the vehicles down, and the yeah. seat needs to be designed that way. You can't maybe just a have... median. Maybe a median. Yeah, and I think there's broad agreement on that, right? The variance yeah. for that passed. Yeah, and uh, maybe some turn lanes, so there aren't so many unpredictable moving movements by cars. Yeah. It's a very chaotic street. It's a four-lane, high-speed, very chaotic street. And Hennepin Avenue is a problem. We've told you before on this podcast it's a problem. It should be fixed. And it, if Jason Garcia was here, we would do a shame on you, Lisa Goodman segment, for her email to someone who contacted her about uh, this incident. And she was like, well, who who can say? I, I think it would have happened regardless. I disagree, Lisa Goodman. Well. It's interesting. My husband and I were driving on 55 this past weekend and um, we were just kind of reflecting on just like road design, right? And like just how much road design really impacts the way people drive, right? And and I don't need to bring up something that I'm sure everyone listening to the podcast is well aware of, but, you know, Hennepin Avenue suffers the same problem, even though it's such a completely different road than 55, but it suffers the same fate, right? Where it's not designed in a way that, you know, indicates to you that you should drive differently, that you should drive yeah. slower, that you should be aware that you're in a very urban area, right? That's, that's the thing that is so jarring about Hennepin Avenue is that, um, no, there's no indication, even in a way that like streets downtown are really, um, they're so full of, of different things that like really indicate to someone like you should probably not drive as fast or er as erratically as you are in a, in a place that's far more populated, I would argue than downtown at current, like present moment, right? Like people actually live in uptown and not that people don't live in downtown, this is going to get me canceled, but, um, just like. The, it's just such a like substantially different like environment and the road design does not do that in any capacity indicate to you that like you should make different choices when driving there. Chris, do you have anything to say or should I make a joke about how uh, if only we had more charging stations on Hennepin Avenue, things would well, be different. Because it was that a actually, I mean, ha having barriers on the side, having you know physical objects can help. And then actually that would add to that. So having like trees and just obstructions that drivers know that they will hit into if they're going too fast does make them slow down. So actually EV chargers might help. Uh, the thing about trees is how do we get trees to even stick on a, on a street like Hennepin Avenue, those street posts that have like the park only between these hours type signs, those kind of posts constantly being knocked down. Yeah. It's, it's not an easy life for a bollard or a street post or a tree on any of these streets. I almost well, got in a fight with someone in Dinky Town because they were um, yeah, exercising, like pulling down on a tree. And I was like, you're going to break that tree. Yeah. yeah. Dr drunk people in addition to cars, bad for the trees. But I think that that's like, you're asking about like, why does this one singular thing not work in this like environment that's not designed to protect that thing, singular thing. Right. So like talking about like why trees on their own cannot save Hennepin Avenue. Like, it's just, that's not a calming, that's not enough to traffic calm that is trees alone, right? That will still result in trees and all the shit along the roads getting destroyed. What street trees, in addition to, 
comedians, in addition to bus lanes, in addition to all of the other treatments that you can put on urban roads to calm traffic is how you survive trees there, right? Like you're right. A tree is not a a method where the tree will live or um, can withstand, you know, impacts if it's the only mechanism for, for traffic calming. So um, it has to be paired with other objects that, again, indicate what level of, of service this road is providing someone. Are we ready to talk about the Hiawatha golf course issue? Sure am. Slash sex forest. Ready as I'm ever going to be. Slash sex forest. I need to find a way to work sex forest into the title of this podcast because otherwise no one will listen. So, Chris, can you get into the history? Uh, Like, I feel like this was an issue in the 2017 election. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, it was one of the biggest issues. It was one of the issues that made me want to run, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So, get into the history of like not necessarily the golf course itself. We can talk about that later, but like the idea of either removing or cutting in half the number of holes. Why, why did the park board undertake this issue uh, five or so years ago or more? Eight years ago, it flooded in 2014, had a disastrous flood. Um, FEMA paid the park board to repair it, but they've indicated that we need to change it uh, because FEMA probably won't bail out the park board again if there aren't changes made to it. So that's what prompted it. Can you indicate the level of disastrous? Like, just, I don't know what that means. Like, oh, FEMA's uh, involved probably big, but like, give, give me a, a ballpark here. Are homes hmm. being destroyed here? What is FEMA covering? I mean... No, the FEMA was uh, covering the golf course. I don't recall if it affected homes in that flood. I wouldn't be surprised because a lot of uh, the homes to the north of the golf course are in a, a kind of flood basin and their basements um, have a lot of issues. Um, but I don't recall the details of that. I just know that everyone agreed that changes needed to be made to adapt. And in 2015, the park board started on that process. And they tried their best to keep a plan with 18 holes. That was always their intent. But they concluded uh, that it really wasn't going to be possible uh, to solve all the the flooding issues and the pollution issues um, with keeping 18 holes. It just wasn't physically possible. So something had to give. Uh, So then the park board, the previous park board had a vote in 2017 uh, that set the plan in a direction to reduce the pumping, uh, which everyone pretty much knew. I mean, the staff explained that that wasn't going to be compatible uh, with 18 holes. That was summer of, of 2017. And then uh, the golfers tried to uh, resist that. And once the new board was elected, they asked us to reevaluate that. And we had a vote in the summer of 2018 that affirmed that direction. Uh, And then when it actually came to a vote to pass the plan with the reduced pumping um, and with the the nine-hole compromise that the staff recommended, uh, that actually passed on the first vote 
but because there was an amendment added to it that renamed uh, the clubhouse, <laughs> it actually failed, even though it had a majority, because the renaming required six votes. Uh, Bradbourne shenanigans. I think I remember this, right? <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> um, I'm certain that Commissioner Bourne was just gleeful with Schadenfreude over that. Let me admonish you for a moment, Chris. Your microphone is rubbing against your shirt, as I warned you before the show. And so this is your second warning. But I pulled it away. <laughs> well, it's back. It is okay. back. You pulled it away. It's drifted back towards your mm. collar. Okay. Don't wear, don't wear such a <laughs> stiff collar next time. Hardly anyone watches the show on YouTube. You, no reason to be fancy. Okay. I've got it propped up on the desk, so hopefully it won't do that again. <laughs> and so it... It actually passed the the master plan that would cut it to eighteen holes. Passed, no, no it almost got a passed. It got a majority, but it didn't pass because of shenanigans. That's right. How does this even happen? Who's combining motions that need a super majority and a simple majority in Brad one Moore. motion? No, no, it was Commissioner Vita oh. who had a series of amendments that she wanted to see added to it, and the renaming was one of them. And uh, then after that passed, then the plan overall included the renaming, which required a six-vote majority. So can I just add, this is again a technical point. Like who's, who is the administration for the park board, right? Like you're all part-time, yeah. you know, there should, who's the staff member at MPRB that was like snoozing while they, and not recognizing that this would, is a we're combining an action that requires a supermajority and a majority. Uh, legal counsel could have warned us. So Brian Rice could have given the majority a heads up that that would be a consequence of renaming it. I mean, you know, Brad was so gleeful because he made us all look stupid and, um, you know, said, you know, I, I'm sure every commissioner knows the basics of their responsibilities and the basic rules that when you have a renaming that you need six votes. <laughs> and, yeah, that's always on um, my mind. It's always on my <laughs> mind. But that's also not your job. Like, I just, this is I like... I mean, it is. I, no, I, it's I, not. It's, it's not. And I, I will defend this to my dying day because this is what I do for work, right? Like, it is the responsibility of your legal counsel or your, like, whoever is, like, the staff to that to know the rules. Because, like, your job is largely a policy board right like you're overseeing and giving direction it is not your job to to memorize all every code of ordinances like this is a fundamental like a, a staff error or a legal counsel error to not recognize that you're combining two things like i don't know i just i do this all the time right so like if someone is you when you make motions you need to advise and make sure that the body you're advising is aware of like this action you're going to take requires a supermajority. This action you're going to take requires a simple majority. So to make that, like to mislead you in that way or to not give you clear advice in that is like a fundamental like mistake in the way that that person did that their job and should have like asked you to revote that. Like it's just, it's very silly to me that that could be fumbled so much by, by staff and by legal. At what point, at the risk of getting bogged down in parliamentary shenanigans, at what point did you learn it had gotten a majority but had failed? What is it? Was it immediately after? When Commissioner Warren brought it up after the vote was taken on the final plan and noted that it failed. Okay, so during and, the meeting. 
Yeah, yeah. And you were unable at that point to go, well, we should revote. Is there some kind of parliamentary reason why you can't immediately bring it back up and fix it? Well, so in order to make a motion to reconsider, the motion is supposed to be made from someone who wasn't on the prevailing side of the vote. Okay. So there's something of a, of a disagreement there. Um, and, you know, we, we brought it forward again um, at, a, at a future meeting. We just put it back on the agenda. So I, I think that probably we, we could have, but um, I'm not actually sure how legal counsel would have ruled on that if we had tried. Okay. Um, but to what Peggy Sue was saying, I mean, I, I do take responsibility for it. I mean, I, I do feel it was a big blunder. Um, and I was certainly aware that things like renaming required six votes. It just wasn't at the forefront of my mind at the point that we took the vote on it. And Commissioner Vita had made it very clear that she wanted those amendments as part of it in order to get her vote and we needed her vote. Um, So it was something that we overlooked. And so it's come up again this year. Yeah, one more. I mean, it it came up to another vote um, in the summer of uh 2021 and um i thought we had a majority of votes for it um commissioner hassan had told advocates that he was going to vote for it and uh, latricia had told me that she was going to vote for it so we put it back on the agenda with um, separate items for the renaming and the actual plan, I anticipated that Commissioner Hassan would change his vote. I told advocates that if they didn't have Brad, they probably didn't have AK. And that turned out to be correct. AK flipped during the meeting. Um, And then Latricia also changed her mind. So then we ended up losing the vote four to five. I've heard you say you think there's a majority for the for cutting the course back to nine holes and fixing the flooding issues uh, this year, but you don't take it for granted. Yeah, in part because of that experience where I thought we had a majority and then the majority fell apart at the last minute. So So I don't take anything for granted. What's happening? Are people like intellectually realizing this is the correct thing to do, but politics are getting in the way? I watched a recent meeting where people in the neighborhood came to testify. It seemed like a majority of people were like, get this done already. I'm tired of talking about this. Fix, fix the issues with the lake. We have a plan. We have this master plan. Why aren't we doing it? Seemed like a lot of frustration from the side that wants the master plan, but are the, do I have the politics wrong? Is there actually more political heat on the save all 18 holes side? Oh, there's a lot of political heat from both directions. But people really do want to move on from this because, you know, it was one of the biggest elections in 2017 and also probably the biggest issue in 2021. I mean, it was certainly the only one that got competing opinion pieces written about it in the Star Tribune from candidates, right? So uh, Tom Olson wrote an opinion piece in support of the compromise plan. Uh, Charles Rogers submitted one against it. No other park issue got that kind of attention. Um, and no other p- 
Park Issue has had so many candidates run like explicitly on this. There have been a lot of them, and they all lost. So um, in 2017, uh, there was a guy named Charlie Casterly. He tried to put golf in his middle name when he filed his candidacy. Was he unsuccessful in doing so? He was. Several people challenged it. Um, and I said that if he was able to do that, then I wanted to put DFL in the name. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, city council candidates get to put three words, any words they want, behind their names. So they mm-hmm. get to identify what their political affiliation is. So a lot of them choose you know, Democratic farmer labor. You can really choose any three words that you want. Uh, but park commissioner candidates don't get that. So Charlie tried to get around that by uh, saying that golf was his middle name or nickname, uh, the way AK, for example, is the nickname for Abdi Kadir Hassan. Right. Um, those are those are initials, though. I, right, I, exactly. once, I once ran for Board of Estimate tax, Taxation <laughs> as a write-in candidate. Yeah. And I tried to use, I don't know what, what the terminology here is, too, but I wanted to get votes for Wedge Live counted as a vote for me. And I think I have a reasonable argument for that. I'm kind of known by that in the community. It's not like an off the wall suggestion. It's not like adding golf to my middle name, but I, I was also unsuccessful in doing so, but I still got thousands of votes. Yeah. The point is, you know, Charlie Casterly was a candidate who really wanted you to know he was about golf and he came in seventh with like 4%. So you, it's your position that that is an indictment of the save the golf course side. Charlie golf Casterly couldn't win. Therefore, it's a losing issue. I, th- I think you're interp- over-interpreting. Uh, he was a poor candidate. Maybe that's the explanation. Well, he's one of several, right? Right. So, yeah. so my argument is that both of these elections had lots of candidates that people could have chosen to vote for if they wanted to prioritize saving 18 holes there. So it wasn't just Charlie Casterly. It was Bill Schroyer ran against uh, Stephanie Musich in that district where the golf please, course is Please located. don't name a list of uh, park board candidates here. We we take your point. Can we do an interlude with Peggy Sue for a moment? What do we think about golf courses? It's even a, even a crappy, even oh. a crappy golf course is very expensive to play on as far as like recreation goes. And it's also kind of yeah. environmentally problematic to maintain a golf course. What's the... What's the planning world's view of golf courses in urban environments, generally speaking? I'm so glad you asked me this question. Um, So I'm going to start first by saying that it's a it's a disservice to not talk before I talk just about golf courses, which I have opinions. Um, It's a disservice to not talk about Hiawatha Golf Course and not name that this is the first integrated golf course. Right. This is the first course that black residents of Minneapolis and St. Paul could play golf at. And that holds a lot of power and is very important. And and d- despite what I'm going to sh- absolutely shit on golf courses for a second here, um, I want to point that out because you had us watch a video that was kind of a, a, a you know, a pro golf course propaganda piece um, that I did actually find to be very powerful, right? Like I do think that there is um, a space that exists at Hiawatha um, for black people and people of color that use this space and feel very welcome in there. And so I think it's really important that we like root this conversation in that. Yes. Like this is an ecological disaster. 
similar to many golf courses, um, but that this is a place of like great significance, right? And so not being like a golfer or from the black community or even someone who knows like the exact issues of the Hiawatha like golf course, I want to put it out there that there is, um, yes, a, a fundamental problem with what is currently existing like if FEMA's out here literally giving us money to save like the level of flooding that's happening out here there has to be something that has to be done um but I, I want to root that in acknowledging that this course holds a great significance to many people um and and that that is really a, a really important part of this and and I think it gets lost in in this conversation that nine holes of this golf course would be retained in a plan right this is not fully removing the golf course. It's not actually turning it into a sex forest, right? Um, it, it, it does retain some of that. It retains the clubhouse. And actually, it, it offers quite a lot of amenities to that neighborhood that that might actually be very valuable there. Um, but I just feel like we're, you know, we're 25 minutes in and we haven't really acknowledged the, the significance and history of this course in a way that is, um, I think, really important. I agree with that yeah. completely and was going to get in, into that when we talked about the pros yeah. and cons and why it is uh, such a politically big issue. Because if it wasn't for that, then I think almost certainly uh, we wouldn't be having any golf course at all there. Um, before I absolutely shit on this, and I think we'll get back to it, is that um, that this golf course means a lot to many people and has a really important history that um, it's a false dichotomy to, to compare it of like, we have to save history or we have to save the environment. And like, one of those things can go like, I don't think that that's what this plan proposes. Um, but, you know, I do think that there is a very valid feeling of importance of this golf course outside of, of everything else of like this golf course really has a lot of meaning and significance. Now, golf courses broadly, it is my opinion, we should not have a golf course within 30 miles of an urban area. Like, I just, six golf courses is how many golf courses MPRB operates. Six? Seven. 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 Oh, seven. The seven golf, golf Yeah, the golf channel got that wrong. Shame, shame on you, golf <laughs> Seven channel. golf courses. That's in fucking sane. And, like, that is just, it's just such a fundamental land use waste and i just i really think that golf is golf and golf courses um god these are things that like i shouldn't say a lot but i'm going to say them i would say them to anyone they're huge wastes of space and they are like in urban areas they are enormous wastes of space and and they're not accessible parks right like fundamentally they're not places it, when we think about something like Central Park, where it like saves all of this, even if it's turf, right? Um, environmentally thing like aside, it's not a, a situation where like any the three of us couldn't just go there and like lay on the lawn, right? Like it is an exclusive, like sport driven, like piece of land use waste, right? That is fundamentally not accessible to most of the public, even if it's a public course, right? Like. And, and yes, you can argue there's elements of it that are accessible, but for the most part, it is like it has rooted in exclusion and it is a gigantic land use waste. When we think about how big golf courses are, like they are massive and like in urban areas when we're facing like huge housing issues, housing shortages, we devote massive amounts of land to them. 
And that is just like the land, the space, right? On top of that, they are predominantly turf, so grass, and they're highly manicured turf. So they're turf that requires significant amounts of chemicals, significant amounts of maintenance. So you're mowing, which mowing and weed whacking are huge pollutants. Weed whack, like weed whippers are the highest like um, pollutant because of the way that like they like the small engine combustion of like diesel and stuff release huge amounts of GHGs. And so like the the maintenance of them to, to keep them existing is also extremely environmentally unfriendly. Like, it's just wild. So, like, they're polluting groundwater. They're polluting our air. Um, they're just taking up all this space. Like, I, I fundamentally believe, like, golf courses belong, like, in agricultural areas. Like, they just belong so, so far away from urban areas that uh, it's just – it's wild to me that my tax dollars go to maintaining seven golf courses. Well, don't um, golf courses turn a profit, Chris? Don't they make some money? Okay, so – during the pandemic, they started getting more revenue. But prior okay. to that, they had been oh. in steep decline. Oh, we had been losing money on the golf courses. Yeah. Um, hey, this was and a that debate. was a national trend. Because you know who golfs? You know who golfs? Ooh. Old white men. It's true. And yeah. you know what's declining? The number well, of old white men. Well, every year we lose, we lose more of them. And yeah, I mean, again, this is like, it's fundamentally an exclusionary practice. Like you don't, you don't typically learn to golf in school. Um, You don't have easy free access to golf courses to learn to golf. The equipment for it is relatively expensive. Like tee times are expensive. Every part of it is expensive. And so it's not something that is inviting people to to pick up golf like and to be fair i was a consultant at one time i golfed i golfed because oh, really? that is what consultants do you golfed oh, oh surely i am actually not terrible at golfing you, you um, don't appear old enough to have ever golfed <laughs> yeah i i golfed i'm not bad uh i i do enjoy the sport of doing something like very leisurely and drinking i find that great mm-hmm. uh i could apply that to many facets but it's just like it's not it's not a place that it's not fundamentally a sport that invites and welcomes people in to try it and like really even like builds more people. So yes, golf peaked a lot during the pandemic, like many outdoor sports because people could go outside and do it with friends. Right. On the flip side, I do think this is part of the argument for saving Hiawatha. Right? Is that for many people of color and and black residents in that areas, they say like. This is where we learn. This is this is the place that is inviting. This is the place that welcomes us to learn this sport and and that grows it past the the thousands of old white men who golf to biz- create business deals in America like every single warm summer day. Um, and so uh, you know, I and I think that there's there's an argument there that's very compelling in my opinion. Um, but as a whole. Yeah, they, they're not money makers again, because you're spending significant amounts of money manicuring these lawns and like be, you know, like just the amount of labor that goes into that um, is exorbitant. And that's, you know, we, we in parks generally, right? Anytime you have turf and you're maintaining turf to look nice, it costs a lot of money in, in labor and in like supplies and an effort, like all of that is just expensive. So a lot of communities are considering like, how do you turn back 
you know, unnecessary turf into, into native plants or into pollinator plants, into things that help groundwater, that help pollinators, that um, help reduce like air pollution because you don't need to mow them or weed whip them. And, and I don't think that golf has been terribly responsive to that in terms of like, I think there's lots of golf courses that have like, that are like very like the wilds or whatever, um, and are like nature themed, right? But overall, the way that golf, the mechanism of golf is that you need turf. We'll be right back after a brief message from our sponsor. Taylor, you like wrestling, don't you? Sure. (laughs) Well, you're in luck because our sponsor is Dispatch. With reports from the Minneapolis and St. Paul arts and culture scene, Dispatch has recommendations for live music, film screenings, tap room parties, even local pro wrestling, and read interviews with the people who make our city such a fun place to live. Grab Dispatch's print editions at First Avenue Venues, the Wiseman Art Museum, Can Can Wonderland, St. Paul Brewing, and other locations, and sign up for their newsletter at dispatchmsp.com. That's dispatchmsp.com. Do you like wrestling, by the way? I mean, the, you're just putting that on for the ad. Yeah. Okay. okay. That's what you have but to do. still, Dispatch MSP, it's great. There was a lot of vitriol exchanged on the Minneapolis subreddit when this came uh, came up recently about whether golf is in decline or whether it's on the upswing and people were throwing out stats. It's the pandemic. It's the pandemic. And then golfers would get mad and want to defend golf and say, no, no, it's a great sport and it's going to be around forever. And I don't know where if we have to decide that debate here, but I wanted to mention that the Minneapolis subreddit has been up in arms about golf and whether it's on the upswing or the decline. I think, well, I think that's still yet yet to be determined, right? I mean, it d- d- depends on whether the things that we're seeing now during the pandemic stick around, yeah, and and reverse all the the heavy decline that we were seeing beforehand. Um, I, I think Peggy said a lot of things that I'd love to respond to. It's Peggy Sue, Chris. Peggy, it I'm is sorry. Peggy Sue. Peggy Sue. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> um, so I, I think it's uh, definitely correct. Um that you know there are a lot of uh, learning functions at Hiawatha Golf Course in particular, and the compromise plan keeps and expands on those. Uh, so two things are simultaneously true about the people who go to Hiawatha. It was actually a golfer who commented on, on this. He said that people of color are about 25 to 40% of the people who go to Hiawatha, which means that you know, the vast majority um, of people who go there are white, but it's still true uh, that Hiawatha Golf Course is probably the most popular uh, one for people of color. And so there's a lot of attachment to it there. Um, And, you know, it wasn't the park board uh, that chose, you know, which of the seven golf courses was going to have the flooding and pollution problems, right? Like, that's just the one where it happened at. Um, And... I just wanted to um, get into my broader philosophy of, of, of golf um, because I agree with a lot, with, a lot with what Peggy Sue said. It's just an inefficient use of valuable space. The park board dedicates more space to golf than probably every other athletic uh, sport combined. So more than all the basketball courts, tennis courts, baseball fields, 
all of that combined. That's interesting. If we like narrowed it down to like square footage or square miles, let's compare you know, it to parking because everyone knows the everyone's <laughs> favorite sport in Minneapolis is parking. So compare yeah. park board parking lots to golf courses. I know you have those stats at hand. I don't. I requested them from our staff, but they never uh, formally tabulated them for me. Um, but it's pretty clear just looking at a map that you can see yeah. that with with the seven courses. And it's an environmental disaster. Lots of fertilizers, lots, lots of pesticides. You know, the park board has really tried to reduce its use of pesticides. The large majority of it goes to the golf courses because they have to cut the grass so short that the grass loses its self-defense mechanisms and needs a lot of fungicide in order for it to survive. And the park board has done a pilot for one of the seven golf courses, Fort Snelling, uh, to try to uh, make it pesticide free. And the last I heard about it, which is about a year ago, it wasn't going very well. It's really, really hard to, to make the golf courses pesticide free like that. Um, some of the most expensive golf courses in the country um, where you have to pay six-figure membership fees and where they have all the resources they could possibly have. Um, you know, they advertise themselves as organic, but they're still using uh, pesticides. So they're, they're basically misrepresenting themselves. So, I mean, that, that just shows that it's like basically impossible to do or pretty close in order to have a golf course that the golfers actually want to use and to make it environmentally friendly. So I, I don't think I would go as far as uh, Peggy Sue to eliminate all the golf courses within in 30 miles, because I do think it's good um, to have maybe one or two, because you know for a lot of older people, it's uh, their preferred form of exercise. And I think you know the park board um, should accommodate. The problem right now is just it's taking up way too much space and it's not meeting any uh, utilitarian function. So we, we, we want to, you know, do what accomplishes the most good for the most people. And golf really isn't doing that. Those spaces could go to help a lot more people. Do we know the proportion of like Minneapolis residents versus people from outside golfing at Minneapolis courses? I haven't golfed in Minneapolis. I have, I did golf as a young man, but I haven't recently. So I'm wondering like maybe are Minneapolis courses like super public courses, super affordable. And so like if I lived in a surrounding city or suburb, maybe I would come in to golf on an affordable Minneapolis course. If I'm a, not a wealthy golfer, is it, are the Minneapolis courses like, who are they serving? And like, can we draw any conclusions from that? You know, I'm sure our staff have a good idea of that. Um, they are pretty affordable compared to a lot of the private courses. Um, which requires, you know, quite a bit of subs public subsidy to keep them that way. Um, but yeah, I, I think a lot of people come from around, uh, from other places because it is affordable. I want to talk about trash. I have, mm -hmm. so I was watching uh, the public <laughs> comment time at a park board meeting recently. And a guy brought in a, I think he said a five pound bag of trash, a big bag of trash. It's always exciting when somebody brings a bag of trash up to a microphone. You never know what's going to happen. And he, and he said he pulled it from Lake Hiawatha. And I read on Wikipedia, Lake Hiawatha has more trash than, I don't know if it's any other Minneapolis lake. There's no citation there. So whether that's true or not, I don't know. But it, it is famous for its trash. Why is that? Why is there so much trash in this lake? 
it's definitely true for Minneapolis that that's the most polluted lake. Uh, it, it's got to be up there in terms of the whole state, at least in terms of physical trash, which the MPCA doesn't actually categorize as um, a regulated pollutant, which is an issue that advocates are trying to fix right now. Um, but this is uh, the pollution issue in addition to the flooding issue. So the, sometimes those two get, get mixed, but the compromise uh, staff recommended plan is designed to address both of them. Uh, so Lake Hiawatha has lots of trash from two different sources. Um, so one of it is just pollution accumulating from upstream on Minnehaha Creek. And um, a lot of the golfers will emphasize that and, and say, like, we should try to address it further upstream. Uh, but if you walk around the lake, it's pretty immediately apparent that the majority of, of the trash is coming from what's called the North Pipe. So a, a pipe on the north end of the lake that Phillips and, and Powderhorn and, and um, you know, a huge area north of Lake Street um, drains into that. So in order to address the pollution from the North Pipe in particular, you need some kind of stormwater treatment in proximity to that pipe. So they can take that space either from the golf course or somewhere else close to it, which would probably need to entail using eminent domain to demolish some houses. So th those, that's really the only way to fix it. Um, and note that uh, the alternative golfer plan really doesn't fix the pollution problems. It just flushes it down the river, basically, by getting rid of the lake and what is the alternative plan? I saw you tweeted about how they want to drain the lake. They want to drain the lake. Their solution to fix this, keep the 18 holes. We will drain Lake Hiawatha. That's the, their solution. Some of the golfers contested that verb um, on, on that thread when I used it, but I don't know what other word you could even use to describe what they propose because they're proposing to reduce the water level uh, for not just Lake Hiawatha, but it would also reduce the lake level for Nicomas as well. Um, and so that would basically uh, put in some wetlands and, you know, and flood capacity in what is now the lake. And then it would increase the speed um, of the creek. And so it would basically just flush all of the trash down the river. I, I think it would, I mean, I, I don't know if there's any place that it would stop we might go all the way to Louisiana um, and, and join a garbage patch in the ocean. But, but, but the reason they want to do that is because um, you know, the golfers want to solve the, the flooding issue because the flooding causes a problem for the course. It makes it a, a low quality course. Like a lot of people have commented that Hiawatha is one of the worst courses they've played because it's always so, so damp and in bad condition. So when people talk about climate change as it relates to the state of Minnesota and our our area of the country generally, it's going to lead to increased precipitation. So the, the problem with flooding is going to get worse in the future. I don't think we've talked about pumping water out of the course, which is a thing that I guess the park board does to avoid the flooding right. is to pump, pump water out. I don't, I don't quite understand why that's a problem. Like it seems to me, I take people seriously when they say it's a problem, I don't know if I've had it explained to me why that is such a big problem, the pumping. 
Can you get into that? So we had a permit from the DNR to pump, I forget what the exact amount was, but it was around 40 million gallons of water a year. And then we learned uh, that we were pumping 200 million or, or something like that. And then it kept going up each year, 400, um, possibly up to 500 million gallons now uh, per year that they were pumping in. Uh, so well in excess of the permit that the DNR uh, had given. Um, it contributes to the pollution in the lake. Um, there will always need to be some degree of pumping, um, but we wanted to reduce it. The I believe the Gulf Air Alternative Plan would substantially increase it. Um, it's it's one of several issues, um, and it's something that brings in in the homeowner discussion uh, to the north of the golf course. Um, so a lot of homeowners were concerned, like if we stop to reduce the pumping, would that affect their homes? And, and Commissioner Menz actually in the last meeting was bringing that up. Like, do we have any obligation to the homeowners? He asked. Um, the The compromise plan um, helps the homeowners because it just it moves the pumps closer to their homes. So it would um, it would both reduce the pumping and help protect those homes. We can talk about smells. I wanted to talk about how bad the lake mm. smells. I've heard that too. Is that just a function of so much trash? I actually haven't heard that. I've been there several times and didn't didn't uh, experience a bad smell, but it might be a, a variety of things. It might be um, algae or or trash or or different things. Where did you where did you hear that it had had a bad smell? It may have been Reddit. I was reading a sex okay. forest thread on Reddit, and so. <laughs> A bunch of things came up. There was also a point made about how, well, the lake was created in the 1920s. Is that true? Yeah. Mm, okay. There was a lake. There was a lake there, but they dredged it more for as part of the process. Of so it was more swamp, like a lot of other lakes. It was it kind was... of a swampy lake. And now it's a more like a manicured, more landscape style lake. I mean, it was still definitely a lake with wetlands around it prior to being dredged and then the dredging modified expanded the the lake itself but i mean so i mean defining what that what that is i mean I, I, you know a lake would be something where it's the, the whole surface is just water and not any plants coming out of it right so that, i mean imagery definitely shows that there was a lake like that prior to dredging I think I've heard similar things about how Lake of the Isles used to be a swampy mess, but I can imagine mm -hmm. a lot of lakes used to be a swampy mess before. Yeah, a lot of the city used to be. So there, there's a story I read recently about a, a patch of land that the city of Minneapolis sold to Edina. It's on the border between the two cities, sold it to Edina and I think St. Louis Park. And they surprised residents who had come to, to know it as kind of a, a forested nature retreat for them to like walk through and they clear cut the the city cities of Edina and St. Louis Park I guess clear cut the forest part they're going to expand like a drainage pond and then replant more climate resilient trees there this is like a broader issue with like managing the increase in uh uh you know dealing with water yeah absolutely i'm not familiar with the case that you just brought up but there are certainly other precedents uh, where, you know, they've demolished homes, like around uh, Edison High School, for example, in Northeast, 
there's a block of homes that were demolished in order to create space for stormwater treatment. And it's something you're going to see more and more of a need um, as climate change proceeds, because in our area, you know, we're projected to get quite a lot more precipitation in the coming decades. So, Chris, uh, we we have Peggy Sue rightly brought up, and I, I want to commend myself for assigning. It's the first time I've assigned a video to watch before uh, an episode to watch a Golf Channel documentary on a golf course about the significance to black golfers. And when it comes to that, I'm thinking, well, why not bite the bullet on this one and preserve this course that is so significant and uh, cater to environmental concerns in other ways? If somebody said to you, just just deal with it, we can save the planet in other ways. I think I've heard similar, I'm making a, a cruder version of an argument I've heard heard made. Like, why does the the black community and black golfers, why, why should they bear this burden? Uh, say, just save the course, do it. Yeah. I, well, I think for someone who said that, who wants to keep eating holes, then it would be incumbent on them to explain how. Um, so like I said, there's both the, the pollution issue and the flooding issue. They need to say like how they would address the flooding issues. And the golfers have done that with their alternative plan. Um, they got, the smartest people they could come up with and their proposal that preserves the 18 holes would require draining Lake Hiawatha. Uh, so we've already talked would... about the answer. They want to drain the lake. And the, the question is, is it worth worth it to everyone in the area? Uh, do we want to have this lake drained and water levels reduced? Peggy Sue. Yeah, I guess I wonder, Chris, if you can talk about, because you know, I know that there is a big kind of stormwater work that happened at Columbia Golf Course. Like, are you able to talk about how that was different in terms of like what happened there to deal with stormwater versus, I mean, obviously Columbia doesn't have a giant lake on it that actively is still full of water, but it was once a lake um, mm-hmm. before it was a golf course. So um, are you able to talk about how those like differ and how that decision was made improvements for columbia golf course are underway right now i believe it's just a, a, a difference of intensity of, of the flooding problem at stake i don't think it's anything more than that i'd have to ask staff to know for sure um but yeah um hiawatha is just the one with with the most severe flooding issues which is a problem again not just for environmentalists, but for the golfers. I mean, no one is satisfied with the status quo on this. Some solution must be reached. And, you know, if they want to keep 18 holes, um, they need to explain how they would do that. And there are just limitations on, on the space. There are only so many things you can do with it. Is the golfer's alternative plan even something the park board would sign a, sign on to? Or is this a case where you're kicking the can down the road permanently with a fake plan that no one would actually vote for and we just don't do anything? And the alternative is held up as a way to keep from doing the uh, the master plan compromise. Well, uh, the park board is going to hear a presentation from the golfers about this plan on April 6th. So it is absolutely something that they're taking seriously. But in you, you and your political wisdom, do you think anyone 
would vote for that alternative or it's just a stalemate and and the choice really is do nothing and kick the can down the road or the the master plan like is it a real viable plan i know they're entertaining it but is it actually viable that a park commissioner would say well i can vote for this and no one will punish me for voting for this drain the lake plan it's a serious plan i mean they could do that if if they wanted to there is a fair amount could, of, of we could of do a lot of things it. if we want to, but would anyone vote for it? Well, I, I mean, this is really going to be the test of of the commissioners who um, have been against it. Is Chris, to, to I, Chris, I wanted you to commit to my theory of this <laughs> that this is really about kicking the can down the road and not doing anything. Like I thought it was at first. I, I thought it was just another delay tactics because there have been a lot of delay tactics. Um, you know, for the community advisory committee and uh, a, a lot um, has been done deliberately to delay this. I mean, it's been eight years since they started it, but I actually think this is sincerely what a lot of the golfers want, because again, they want to solve the flooding issue. So, um, you know, they, they need some place to put in additional flooding capacity. And their proposal is to be able to do that in what is now the lake. So I, I, I don't know. I, I think, you know, th- they're going to try to get people to vote for this. They will try. I think what's dragged this out is political cowardice. And I don't, it would take some political courage to actually vote for a drain the lake plan. Whatever you think of it, it's takes political courage to more than the, the nine hole compromise studied for eight years master plan. I think. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I, I think it's just interesting with like a with a drain the lake alternative is that, um, yes, it's likely that we're going to get wetter. But like what's what's most likely from what I understand is that we'll just experience more volatile seasons. So if you think about like last summer was like extremely dry um, and like so dry where like parts of like Minnehaha Creek were like completely dry. Right. Um like higher up in the watershed area. And so um, it's just interesting because like really good stormwater solutions, in my opinion, are ones which account for both like extremely dry conditions and extremely wet conditions, right? So um, an alternative that is really focused only on that really wet condition is not in my mind a very good alternative because um, say you drain the lake, like and that that's your like your new stormwater capacity, your stormwater basin. Like, what do you do when it's just like empty, right? In these times, you have like extreme dryness. Um, so that's just like a really a, a curious solution to me of like creating extra stormwater capacity and not thinking about like the volatility of climate change does not always necessarily mean that this golf course will flood, right? Like we know historically it continues to flood. It floods worse than other places, like for a variety of factors. But like when we have very dry seasons, which we're likely to have more of and more frequently, um, that's just like a really funny solution to me. Yeah. And I don't know the answer to that. Um, There are a lot of questions that I have um, for the, oh, hi. (laughs) What's the cat's name? Oh, this is Albert. He's been sitting here this whole time sleeping. Hi, Albert. (laughs) um yeah you know the golfers had 
what was supposed to be a public meeting about this. And they said at the beginning that they were going to take questions, um, but then they didn't. So there, there are a lot of questions that need to be answered and that hopefully will be on April 6th. I want to talk about the sex forest because it's mm-hmm. my it's my plan to hype this when I tweet out the episode as it being partially about the sex forest because I think that's what people really want to tune in for. <laughs> so, Chris, are you familiar with the sex forest plan? Um, I saw the diagram of it on Twitter. I, I can't say I know a whole lot about it. My my opinion is that you know if they're going to reopen this, like we had we had a whole community input process on this but then president forney is inviting the golfers to present their alternative plan on april 6th Um, if we're going to open it up for that then i think we should open up for other plans that citizens put together peggy sue has a sex forest question peggy sue I mean, I think I just uh, to me, I I have read like the like make it a sex forest as like more of a satire on how ridiculous like using it as a golf course is like maybe that's just like me reading too much into it. But like a sex forest is sort of as ridiculous as keeping an 18 hole golf course that floods so significantly that FEMA has to come in and provide aid, right? Like when we think about FEMA, like my perception of FEMA is like hurricanes and like serious natural uh, disasters. But no, FEMA also includes like providing MPRB financial support when a golf course floods. So my take on on the sex forest is that it's more of like a, a symbolism for how ridiculous like the solution of maintaining the golf course is not necessarily that that's like a genuine public sentiment is to actually have a sex forest. Peggy Um, Sue, you know how we know the sex forest plan is real? How? They have yard signs. Yes, but I, and they have a diagram. No, no fake, no fake plan has ever had yard signs. That's a super good and completely valid uh, fact. Yes, absolutely. Peggy Sue, do you have any more sex forest questions? Uh, or are you just oh. going to shit on the concept of the sex forest as if it's I just I wasn't satire. shitting on the sex forest, You think it's John? just satire. That's your, that's your audio clip for this. I was not shitting on the sex forest. I was saying I thought the sex forest was symbolism. <laughs> but if people want a sex forest, I mean, people go to like the secret beach and get naked and swim there. So like, why not? I guess I'm not going to yuck people's yum. Chris, what, what does the law say about having sex on park land? Um, hmm. I mean, probably illegal for a couple different reasons. We did legalize toplessness uh, for I women. You were you were a big booster of that. Mm-hmm. Yep, I got a lot of hate mail for that. Did you really? What did people oh, yeah. say to you about uh, legalizing toplessness at the parks? You know, I think it, it, I I got calls from all around the country, so it got must have got put on some I don't know right-wing website but they were saying like um that it was unchristian and um uh, you know did you inform them that there's a separation of church and state uh, that's how i do people not know that this is the part of the episode where i will insert video of chris i know at the planning commission a couple of years ago you said something about nipples am i correct the male nipple. Oh, it was it was on this ordinance repeal. When, when when we repealed this ordinance, you know, I pointed out the problems with the logic of the people of, of the 
Minnesota Supreme Court. Thank you, Commissioner French, Commissioner Meyer. Uh, it, it did, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, come to the Minnesota Supreme Court in uh, 1986. It was uh, uh, the state of Minnesota versus Leanne Turner. And there, the Supreme Court uh, justified uh, the park board ordinance, or justified the sexism of it, uh, saying that female breasts are erogenous, uh, whereas they claimed that male breasts aren't. And I just don't think those judges knew enough gay people. So have we covered everything? Sex forest, golf course, and otherwise? Um, there were a few other things that I wanted to talk about. Um, so the first thing to know is just the process that this is going to go f forward on, um, at least if nothing else changes. So because it was defeated, uh, the staff recommended that the board should pass a resolution instructing staff to bring it back and to hold a public hearing. So they had to have a vote on that procedural step, which they did at the last meeting through committee. And then on April 6th, they'll do that through the full board. And that will then have a public hearing and the committee vote on the actual plan, assuming it doesn't get delayed. That would be on April 20th. And then the full board vote would be on May 4th. So people can come and, and speak their opinion about this um, at any open time for any of those three meetings. So open time starts at 5.30. You usually get a minute or two to speak and you can talk about anything you want. Uh, but then there will be um, the public hearing dedicated to the subject in addition to open time on April 20th. Uh, so if people want to see the compromise plan passed, um, and, and don't want to see Lake Hiawatha drained, uh, they should really contact their commissioners about it, either by emailing or calling them, or better, to show up in, in person for open time. Because when people show up for open time, and precisely because it takes some energy to do that, that makes the commissioners know that you actually care about it. Um, and it has a big effect when people do that. One thing I thought was admirable that the, is that the golfers even put out an alternative. Mm -hmm. Because... It's a pretty extreme measure to take, but at least they're admitting this is the alternative. This is the extreme measure we would have to take. I agree. In order to do that, they could just keep kicking the can down the road. Absolutely. I do think it was admirable of them to kind of put their cards on the table and, and say what it is that they would do if, if they had control, as opposed to just saying no. Um, to the compromise plan without articulating what they actually want. Um, but I wanted to talk just a little bit more about why people should want the compromise plan. Um, because, you know, we, we've talked um, some about the flooding issues. Um, the pollution issues are huge. Like volunteers are picking up thousands of pounds of trash off the lake. Um, but the compromise plan will also create new park space that isn't accessible to people right now. Um, you know, right now the golf course is fenced off. You can't walk around the lake. With this plan, you'll be able to walk around the lake and through the golf course on brand new trails. And there will be a lot more uh, new amenities for fishing and kayaking uh, that aren't accessible right now. And can I walk? Can I walk through somebody's golf game? Am I allowed to do that under the compromise plan? 
<laughs> no, um, that'll be uh, still split off from okay. the publicly accessible areas. Okay. But you'll be able to walk through what is now the golf course, and it'll basically be a big new addition um, to the chain of lakes, which is you know, hugely crowded. There are tons of people coming there all the time. And it'll be a really scenic place because you'll have wetlands surrounding you as you're walking through it. I did also just want to talk about um, the the compromise because, you know, Commissioner Thompson in the last meeting um, brought up Solomon's parable of cutting the baby in half and saying that this plan was like that, which is an analogy that you only use if you don't think uh, any compromise is, is worthwhile. Um, so I, I do think that is something that, you know, commissioners should bring up. And Commissioner Olson brought, the, brought up that he would support no golf at this location. I mean, um, if it's really the case that golfers don't value just having a nine-hole course, then the park board should just really go... Um, all the way and, and remove golf all the, altogether from the site. And like I said, if it wasn't for the history of the site, I'm, I'm confident that they would be doing that. Golf, golf takes a long time. If anyone has ever played golf, it takes like four and a half hours. I don't, I mean, I'm a big advocate for full court basketball. There's a lot of racial implications with the idea of like either removing basketball courts or cutting them in half. And so I can see why if you're an enthusiast for a sport, you'd be unhappy with like messing with the tradition of 18 holes. But like when we talk about like future proofing golf, and I can't believe I said that phrase, <laughs> but maybe cutting the time required to play and it is it, cutting it down to nine holes. Isn't so bad. I spend two hours instead of four hours. And that's exactly right. So and, and there's really an age divide on this because a lot of the younger golfers don't want to take that whole four to six hours out of their day. But a lot of the younger ones you know, would, would prefer to have, have nine holes. So it's a lot of the, the older golfers who are saying keep 18 or don't bother with the golf course at all. And isn't, you know, like, isn't like most like league play, like only nine holes too, right? Like, so if there's like a money making mechanism here for MPRB, like in terms of like league play, like you're not going to play a, an 18 hole league anyways, either. I just, I, I think that, um, this is just one of those, this is, this really encapsulates like, I think issues of climate change, this whole project is like this idea of, um, like older generations who will likely die before our world is like fully on fire making these environmental decisions. And I think that that's, um, that's one thing that I, I will be writing to several of the park board commissioners, my feelings on this of just that. I, I do agree that the, the history here needs to be saved. I don't, I'm not a proponent of taking away this, this golf course, you know, even when John Kennedy made the counter argument of like, why did the black community have to be the ones to like solve the environmental issues? Like just fix it and, and save the world somewhere else. Right. Um, I, I can't say that I see that as like the worst argument ever in, in this like particular instance, especially just like in the way that Minneapolis is right now in 2022. Um, 
But I, I think that this is just such an encapsulation of the way that we um, we let older generations who are likely not going to see even the benefits really of this environmental change determine what we should do and how we should move forward with with climate solutions. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think with this plan, you'll make sure that there is golf kept there if, if the compromise plan is passed. But yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, really means that we should be taking on some of the other of the seven golf courses. A, a few of them stand out for potential to do something different with them. I had a lot of people reach out to me, for example, about turning Columbia Golf Course into more of a park. Or, for example, uh, Meadowbrook you know, is the, the golf course that is the most distant from the city. So it's not even on the boundary of Minneapolis. It's actually at the intersection of uh, St. Louis Park, Hopkins, and Edina. So there's almost a, a democratic issue with it being people elected in Minneapolis who are controlling that. So I think, you know, the park board should consider selling that land to the Three Rivers Park District or to someone else. and To a developer, sell it to a developer. Make people real mad. Are you joking in that exact location of where that golf course is? No, thank you. No, thank you, sir. It, it is physically located in all three cities. So if they, if they were to sell it, they would have to work with all three of them. Ooh, we don't three. want it. Thank you very much. Or Keep you know, your golf course. Fort Snelling is another one. I mean, Fort Snelling is close to the, the light rail station, right? So if, if you wanted one to you know, put housing on, on part of it, you, know, you could put some housing on, on Fort Snelling and turn the rest of it into a bigger park or something. Okay. Are we done with golf? Would, I would like to amend my earlier golf statements. Okay. Um, Go. Just because, you know what, Chris brought a, I had a change of heart. Chris brought a, a great point up to me, which is that like old people deserve sporting. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah. I, I amend my earlier statement that all golf courses must be 30 miles outside of Minneapolis uh, or urban areas. So I don't know. I just think of like an old nice grandpa who wants to golf. That seems like maybe we should not take everything from him. We can there's, take a lot of things from him. There's a contradiction here because one of the arguments is it's so extremely exclusive. And if you make many fewer of them, doesn't it by definition become even more exclusive? Probably. I think it's really probably just a fundamental situational change that has to happen in operations, right? In the way that, that communities have access to golf and, and the way that like especially public golf courses operate and invite people in. And it it's something that has to change from like like a structural thing where MPRB would have to fundamentally change the way that they engage with communities about golf and and invite them in and, and work to expand the reach of golf. And I'm not sure that that's an undertaking that is really of high priority or value to MPRB. Esports. Virtual golf, 18 <laughs> holes in the comfort of your home. <laughs> uh, so so I, I do believe that we should keep one or probably two golf courses out, out of the seven. If, if I had, you know, full control over it, I, I would still, I, I think, keep one nine hole and one 18 hole golf course. And I think See, if I, if I was a golfer, I'd be very upset by that. I personally... Uh, don't care very much about golf. So it's not a problem for me. But if you, I hear you saying we're only going to have two and I think, well, 
it's going to be very difficult for me to get a tea time. And like, how will I continue to play? Yeah, but think about like if you're a golfer in Minneapolis and Minneapolis had two golf courses, a nine hole and an 18 hole, you could throw a rock at the next golf course, right? Like there's literally a golf course at Brookview. There's a golf course at Interlochen. There's a golf course like in any direction you could still like this is what Chris is saying is MPRB should operate two golf courses, but that does not significantly like, yes, if you were someone who came out from the burbs into Minneapolis to use one of the seven courses, it does limit your options. But there's also like, uh, there's a giant golf course in Edina. I don't remember what it's called. Braemar is, yeah. And so it's like, there's so many options for people. That's that's part of, there is there is a bit of an oversaturation, in my opinion, of, of golf there, there absolutely is. And I think the effect that you would see is that you'd see a lot of the demand diverted to some of the private golf courses that are currently failing right now. Like a lot of golf courses are in severe financial trouble and have been, you know, that people have been been selling them. If if the MPRB golf courses ha- had been private, I guarantee you, like at least half of them would have been sold by now. Um, the only reason they weren't is is because they were public. And you know. Um, Superintendent Bangora told me when he's traveling to other cities, like a lot of other um, park staff, you know, say how surprising it is that Minneapolis has has been able to keep all of them in the face of, of this reduced demand. So, uh, and, and you know, um, there was a video, I think it was from Meet Minneapolis or some other promotional video that was like trying to you know, encourage CEOs to locate here. And one of the things they talked about, they, they claimed that the Twin Cities has the highest number of golf courses per capita. Like, so we, we've got, you know, a lot of golf. And I, I think that if we reduce the number of public golf, golf courses, the demand would get diverted uh, to some, some of the private ones that have been failing. You know what golf courses are like? Cemeteries. They're fenced off. Wow, you well, just really stole my idea like that. I put it in the chat. You really just went there. I was trying to set you up. They're fenced Unbelievable. off. Unbelievable. There's no sidewalk <laughs> full of old slash dead white people. Uh, there's a lot of similarity similarities there. Peggy Sue? Yeah, no, I mean, I was saying, well, land use challenges is cemeteries, right? Cemeteries are uh, like significantly struggling just because they're they take a lot of maintenance and land and uh, it's interesting. I, I know someone that I went to grad school with that was a landscape architecture uh, urban planning student that did like a big project on like how cemeteries can either like reduce costs or become more profitable. Um, and I'd be curious. I don't know really anything about it at all, um, but it's just a, it's an interesting urban problem. Have you seen the George Carlin video about, Golf and cemetery. I don't know if you were thinking of that, Peggy Sue, when you brought that up. Oh, okay. Peggy Sue, did you steal from George Carlin when you said? No, I hadn't. I was just thinking about like (laughs) wastes of space. (laughs) Unfortunately, it has some pretty homophobic language in it, so I -hmm. I don't share it. But aside from the homophobic language, it's it's a pretty great video that talks about how we should repurpose both golf courses and cemeteries to solve the homelessness issue. Hmm. So it's a good video to watch. But yeah, I, I think, you know, cemeteries could be uh, put to much better use. Um, we have some parks in Minneapolis that uh, used to be cemeteries 
Um, so that's, there's already precedent for that. Wait, now I need to know which one, what, what used to be a cemetery? <laughs> um, so Beltrami Park in Northeast was one. Um, there are a number of other ones, uh, like especially in New York. Like New York has a lot that used to be cemeteries. I can't remember them offhand. But it's a pretty common thing um, as cities grow in population and land becomes more scarce that you need to turn low value uses of land like golf courses and cemeteries into higher value mm. uses. We we have lost that uh, flexibility as a species, I think. <laughs> no, We're stuck no, we have with all of our bad decisions <laughs> at this point. Okay, we can end the show by, uh, I haven't done this in a while, but each of you telling me uh, what's making you, what are you doing to relax? Uh, what's making you happy lately? Anything? Oh, I Peggy, love that Peggy, question. Peggy Sue, That's... do you have anything to recommend to people that will brighten their day? Yeah. Um, great question. Well, uh, I just, my, my husband and I have are very late on the boat. We're watching succession. Mm. Um, so that's been really enjoyable. Um, and I started figure skating. So, um, talk about elite sports. Uh, I started taking figure skating lessons and I skate actually at, I'm a, now a very large supporter of the St. Louis Park Pre- Parks and Rec program. That's I the best them. one. I hand them all my money. Um, yeah, so I started figure skating. I figure skated this morning, actually, since, before work. Since, so, when, since when can you get into figure skating as an adult? You can. Well, so St. Saint St. Louis Park has a very robust adult figure skating program, first of all. Um, but I started taking lessons in Edina because that was – what had availability because it can be very difficult to get into adult figure skating lessons. Who knew? Um, and then I've been taking also, I, so then I started taking lessons at the Minneapolis figure skating club, which operates out of Augsburg. Um, zero out of 10, not really loving that, but I paid for it. So I'm going to keep doing it. Um, and then I, I, I do open skate, uh, like open figure skating time. That's without like hockey players or like small children. Um, at St. Louis park. And then I'm probably going to start taking private lessons there. Cause they have, they have private coaches for figure skating there. So what, what is an adult, uh, somebody who gets into figure skating as an adult, what can they get up to? Are we talking about leaps and twirls? Yeah. That you level can do of, it all. you can twirl. Yeah. Like go into the air and spin around. Yeah. There's literally like her name is Mary, Mary Ann or Mary marry something she's like she's got to be like 65 that skates every morning like at the place that i skate and she's out here like doing lutzes and and jumping around Hmm. is this a sport that's on the rise probably not i don't know ask chris How, how did you get into it how did you get into it Oh, this is a very existential moment. Um, so I, two reasons. I, I needed to move my body more. And I made the decision that like, if I was going to move my body, I wasn't going to do stuff that I didn't like. So like, I've been like a big like, hit, like take hit classes or like go to like these really intense like gym courses or like pretend that I like running and like doing all this stuff that I don't actually like at all. Um, that I have zero fun doing. Um, and so then I don't exercise because I don't like it. Uh, so I started rock climbing, so I, I boulder and then I was, I've always really wanted to take figure skating lessons, like probably for over a decade. Um, but it's just something that I was like, 
I didn't have the time or I forgot that I wanted to do it. And then when I remembered I wanted to do it, there wasn't anywhere that had lessons. And so I kind of remembered I wanted to do it at the right time because it was kind of like a New Year's resolution kind of thing. Um, And then I just, now that I'm over 30, I realize I'm like very afraid of things. Like I'm terrified my husband's going to die at any moment. Like I am terrified I'm going to die driving my vehicle, which is actually a reasonable fear. Um, And I just, I find that I'm like very afraid of things. Um, I don't know if that's just like my own 30 year old experience. If other people have had this experience, tell me, slide into my DMs. But um, so I just had this like fear Um, and both bouldering and figure skating is like kind of scary because you can fall both of those at any moment and injure yourself. And so, um, I just really felt like I should do something I was afraid of and and do it now before it was too late. And I had like regret for not doing it. Um, so. So you did, you didn't read about it in like glamour magazine or anything. It's not like a hot new trend. You you came up with this trend on your own. (laughs) I did. I did. I I wouldn't call it a trend. I think that uh, unless people want to start getting on it and then they want to skate with me and please do. This this episode, uh, once it goes up on YouTube and across podcasting platforms, a a trend has begun. Perfect. I I didn't know I would elicit uh, an entire figure skating uh, story, but I'm glad I asked the question. Chris, do you you have any response to that or I do. Uh, recommendations of your own? Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to make a pitch for people who wanted to get started. It's it's too late now, uh, but next winter, um, you should go try it out at Loring Park. I went skating for my first time ice skating there. Um, Fun. They, they have uh, free skates that you can borrow to use it. It's a really great program and a lot of fun. Will they have large size skates for large size people? They had uh, ones that were larger than mine. I'm I'm a size 11, so I assume. Yeah, they had they had plenty of them. Okay, is that is that your recommendation, Chris? The the skating because you stole Peggy Sue's recommendation. If that's the case, well, you have to pay to do what Peggy Sue is promoting, right? This one is so free. yours is better. I'm not promoting it necessarily. <laughs> okay. I don't I don't want to say that. But Chris, okay. what what is making you happy? What do you have to recommend to people? You know, normally I would probably talk about biking, but I broke my wrist a couple of weeks ago, uh, just fell on the ice and, uh, the doctor said I should not bike because it's, you know, putting pressure on my wrist like ever? ever or no for about six weeks. So okay. I'm, I'm in, I'm in week two of, of six and I made the mistake of telling my landlord that that was the doctor's recommendation because I wasn't going to follow it. I was going to take my risks. Because the, ma- the main risk is like if you if you fall off your bike, then you'll break it really badly. Right? That's what they wanted to prevent. But um, my landlord locked the shed and um, <laughs> I don't have access to it. Well, that's a so, sweet story of how much your landlord cares for you. <laughs> she does. Um, so uh, I've been uh, not getting as much exercise as I normally would um, because of that. Um, but... Uh, I've been reading the Expanse series. I was just starting on that. So that's that's, good. I I can recommend that too. That's very good. Yeah. Yeah. I've watched the television show. It's a great television show. Probably my favorite science fiction and the books are even better. That is one. That is probably my husband's favorite television show. Oh, good. A lot of Expanse has existed in this house. Well, thank you both for spending 90 minutes with me. I enjoyed it very much. I've never talked about golf so much in my life. (laughs) You're so welcome. 
Peggy Sue and Mihi Bean. I, I forgot the the married name there at the top of the show. I'm going to include this. Right. How many times have I done that? Oh, probably forever, but that's fine. Okay. Peggy Sue and Mihi Bean. <laughs> and, and can we just please give a shout out to my internet? Not one dropped call. I know. What are you doing differently? <laughs> well, I'm using the gaming computer. Okay. Oh. <laughs> good, good job, gaming computer and Ethernet cable. Oh, yeah. I got I got I got the big boy equipment today. And a former parks commissioner and golf opponent, Chris Meyer. Well, golf, golf downsizer. <laughs> like I said, we, 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 we want to keep a couple of them. We want to have a variety of exercise for everybody mm-hmm. to do. Like, I think that's M- a noble Mr. goal of the park board. Mr. Reasonable Chris Meyer. Thanks. Thanks to both of you. I'm your host, John Edwards. This has been the Wedgelite Podcast. This is a real, real thing. Real, 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 real thing. We're in the wedge neighborhood right now, 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 right now.